All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Gents Talk series. We've got Jessica O'Reilly, who likes to go by Jess, but is also more commonly known by Dr. Jess. Yeah, that's the cartoon version of me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming in. It's my pleasure. We're really excited. Awesome. Matthew and I have been talking about this for weeks now. Very, very excited. Yeah. Very excited to get some good information out, at least for me, too, right? (laughs) So. Yeah, so maybe before we jump into some of the topics, uh, and just for everyone who's who's listening, watching, uh, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, sex and how it impacts the male psyche and men in general. Um, but before we do that, maybe you can, you know, just give everybody a quick brief bio of, you know, some of the stuff that you've done and we can jump right into it afterwards. Sure, sure. So I'm a sexologist, not something you aspire to be when you grow up, but I was a high school teacher. I was teaching with the Toronto District School Board back in 06, 07, and students were coming to me with all of these issues that, you know, really intersected with or were underpinned by a lack of information around sex and relationships. So I went back to school to study, and that's how I got my start. And now I mostly facilitate workshops and retreats kind of every week all over the world, for couples, but they're pri- they're all people who either own a company or are the CEO of a company, and they bring their partners, and they thrive in all these other, uh, other areas of their lives, so they also want to thrive in their relationships. Incredible. And how long have you been doing that now? You know, I've been doing this. I've been working in the field since I was in undergrad. Like, I worked at the Sex Ed Center. I was the, you know, directed the Sex Ed Center at the University of Toronto, and I'm trying to think of the traveling and the regular kind of retreats for the last 10 years. Wow. So you get to travel all around the world, basically. I do. And what's super fascinating is that the issues, the celebrations, the struggles are the same, whether you're in Lebanon or India or Canada or Mexico or Europe or any parts of Asia. It's it's kind of all the same. Wow. Okay. With cultural nuances, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this could be like a a really, really long series of, of different just cultural nuances. Yeah, for sure. And I think that my comment from having worked kind of all around the world and also from being mixed, coming from different cultures, pulling from different cultures from my parents' sides, is that in the West, I think what holds us back so much is that we we assume we're farther ahead. We don't like to kind of admit vulnerability. And I know that you're facilitating all these conversations on the in this program around vulnerability, but there is this resistance to do so, not just for men, but for women and people of all genders. And so when I'm, you know, I did a tour in India recently, and everybody in the West, everyone in Canada, in the States is like, oh, they must need your help there. Like, where do you get these ideas about about Indian sexuality? Like when we look at cultures like India, or I mean, I'm, I'm Chinese, we have a rich history of celebrating sexuality. And if you look at the history, a lot of it comes down to colonization as to why we've ended up where we are right now. Mm. And so we make a lot of assumptions. We think that we're super empowered. Uh, and in doing so, I think sometimes we don't leave space for curiosity. And I love that you started this conversation with the fact that you, you want to take something away from it. And I think a lot of us are just really scared to say that we don't know everything. I mean, this is my job. I study this all day, every day. And I feel yeah. like I know nothing. Right. The more you study, the more you're like, oh, my gosh, there's so much here and there's so much more knowledge to be gained. Is there one specific thing that stands out to you that you're just like mind blown when it comes to this topic? So what blows most people's mind is the fact that we don't even know anatomy. So if your partner, for example, has a clitoris, most people don't even know that the clitoris is internal. Most people don't even know that the clitoris gets erections. It has legs. It has bulbs. It's not a little kind of elevator button doorknob at the top. And that's a very kind of straightforward thing that you should feel no shame around not knowing. Like, where are you supposed to learn? I mean, for example, did you learn about the clitoris in sex ed? No. 
I think I remember having maybe like five hours in the morning once, and that was the extent of it. I don't remember, so it wasn't even even if he touched on it, it would have been long enough that would have, your brain's uh, not paying attention. No, not a, not not in grade seven. No, I mean I I have a clitoris. I think we learned about it. I think I learned about it in in university. Right, right? that was the first time I even heard the word, and na- and then again. We got hung up on that little kind of button at the top being the clit, but that's not it. That's just the head of it. That's the anatomical equivalent to like poking on the head of a, of a penis, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much. It has a shaft. It has the two kind of areas that fill with blood. It gets erections. So that's anatomy's easy. Anybody can learn that. I think on the relational side, um, what what I think surprises me most or what people are surprised by most is that everything is emotional, that if you're going to have hot sex, if you're going to have wild sex, if you're going to have a happy relationship, you have to get the underpinnings of emotional literacy first. And that's not as fun and as easy as learning about the clit, but it's equally, if not more, far more important. Interesting. So let's, uh, let's jump into a topic that really, I think, hinders a lot of men in particular, and that's performance anxiety. And I say that um, as you pout, as I say that, yeah. um, it, it's a common thing. And it happens to a lot of men where they get into their heads. Yeah. So I will say it happens to everybody. And it's a matter of pressure. Mm-hmm. And pressure, of course, is the antithesis of pleasure. And so when you have performance anxiety, you might have issues with erection. You might have issues with orgasm. You might have issues with pleasure. And the solution oftentimes for so many people is to turn away from pleasure, to be like, oh, let me, if I'm worried that I'm going to ejaculate too quickly, let me think about my grandma. Let me run my baseball stats in my head. Let me go over the football pool. And that's so unfortunate because why would you want to engage in this pleasurable experience? And pleasure is so many things. It's physical. It's relational. It's emotional. It's, it could be spiritual for some people. Why would you want to take away the pleasure? Well, because you've been told that you're supposed to perform in one specific way, right? So in the absence of comprehensive sex education that includes discussions and depictions of pleasure, we know that our number one source of learning is porn. Yep. And you guys may have even, in fact, by yourselves, accidentally seen porn, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think once yeah. today. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was a few minutes late, so. <laughs> yeah, plenty, plenty of time. I opened up that window, right. And so we think that we're supposed to look and sound and act and perform and behave as they do in porn. You think that you're supposed to be hard right away. You're supposed to, you think you're supposed to have this huge member. You think that you're supposed to last super long. You think that you're supposed to kind of jackhammer. You think that you just deliver a pizza, put it down, and everybody's all of a sudden doing it while the pizza gets cold. And so that pressure to be all of those things takes away from pleasure. And then also it creates this negative feedback loop, right? So if you're worried about, oh, am I hard enough? Am I big enough? Am I good enough? Am I man enough? Am I lasting long enough? Do they like this? You can't get into the relaxation response that your body requires for pleasure and for erection, Mm. right? The moment your body feels or your mind goes to this place where you're worried that something bad is going to happen, you actually have difficulty differentiating. That old reptilian brain can't differentiate between, is this a tiger about to eat me Or is this just me not living up to a little standard that I can probably get over? But as soon as you get into that fear state, you're probably not going to get the blood flow. You're probably not going to even have an erection. And more importantly, forget the erection. Forget how long you last because there's lots of different ways to enjoy sex without an erection uh, in two minutes, in three minutes. It doesn't have to be this marathon thing, but you're not going to enjoy yourself, right? And that's why you're there. You're hopefully there for the pleasure. And so sometimes to get over performance anxiety... It's just a little bit of learning, right? To know that, hey, if I don't get hard in a minute, it's okay. It's going to take some time. You hit the age of 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 
you're not just hard because it's a Wednesday, right? Like when you're young, you get the NRBs, the no reason boners. It's math class, it's fourth period, the wind is blowing or it's raining outside and it's like, whoop, here I am. Or you're riding a bus and you've got that buzz in the back seat. And then you hit a certain age where you tend to require A, more time Mm -hmm. and B, more physical stimulation. And you don't talk about it. So when that happens, you kind of freak out. You're like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Is something up? Now, I will say, if you're seeing significant changes in erectile functioning, it's also a really good idea just to go to the doctor and get it checked and make sure that it's not something else, right? That is not something around circulation, that is not, you know, a medical issue. And that's actually what brings a lot of guys to the doctors. <laughs> if there's a sexual issue, they'll go. And then we find out, hey, there's actually something else hmm. that's really serious in our lives. So go get checked no matter what. But also know that the body experiences changes over the course of a lifetime. And don't, and don't feel badly about it. And hopefully you have partners who are supportive and who are like, hey, no big deal. Like, let's use hands. Let's use toys. Let's use mouths. Let's take our time. Let's enjoy our bodies. Mm. And for if a guy is going through a, a moment of performance anxiety or just anxiety in general where they're now in their heads, is there, I don't want to call it a trick, but is there a, a method or, a, or something that they can do to get out of their head? Because I know you said that some a lot of it, and I... I know this, a lot of it comes from the partner as well. Like the partner can play a huge role in that situation. But assume for a moment the partner doesn't know how to help. Mm -hmm. What can the guy do in that situation? Um, So first and foremost, don't freak out. You're not alone. This happens to every single person in the world at some point in their lives. So don't worry. And then if you're in your head, what you might want to do is get out of your head and into your body. So slow down. And just tune in to the sensations, to the physical touch. So, you know, you you probably talk about mindfulness a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. So sexual mindfulness might just be tuning in to the temperature, to the texture, to the pressure, to the movement, to the rhythm of your partner's body against you. Uh, It may be, you can kind of do the opposites. You can do tune into the body. You can also escape with fantasy, like go to a place that feels I'll say safe, but also exciting for you. Like think about anything that really turns you on. Let me tell you this. If if you think about the thing that's worrying you most, so for many people that's erection, right? Or or ejaculating too quickly. Um, if you think about that, that's going to happen because <laughs> mm. the body goes into this stress response. So number one, know that it's not a big deal. Know that this isn't the last time you're going to have sex. And then tune into the sensations in your body. And then I think the bigger picture thing is that you can't just choose to be mindful in the bedroom and move through life mindlessly. And the reality is that our culture, our world, our lifestyles, so much of it is now mindless, right? We we reach for our phone and we're doing something we don't even realize we're doing eight things at once. So if you can practice mindfulness on a more regular basis outside of the bedroom, like start your day with six slow breaths where you just feel what it feels like in your body, or interrupt your day to do a little bit of deep breathing, that can kind of go a long way so that you're being mindful throughout the day and not just when you're in the heat of the moment. So generally speaking, anytime it comes to sex, we're always talking about developing skills and practices outside the bedroom that become transferable into the bedroom. And can you give us what those, can you tell us what those skills would be? Um, Oftentimes it's about um, slowing your breath down, right? So we can get your heart rate down. Um, sometimes it's a, it's about just practicing touching yourself. Like we'll so exercises we would do with clients, for example, um, we might just do mindful touch where you have a partner if you have one, or you can do it yourself. Touch your hand and your arm for ten minutes and see if you can just breathe and tune into those sensations. And if that sounds difficult or overwhelming um, or frustrating, then of course if you can't tune into pleasure or sensations for ten minutes in a more low risk situation like a hand caress, how are you going to do that in the bedroom? So that's number one. 
if it's an issue around premature ejaculation, which, by the way, there isn't, the definitions can vary, but oftentimes people think that they're premature ejaculating because they're only lasting four minutes, but four minutes is very, very normal. It's within the range of normal if we're talking about penile vaginal intercourse here. Um, again, if you're having sex with someone with a vagina, they probably don't want you to be going in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out for like 5, 10, 20 minutes on end. We want kind of other things, uh, a little bit more variety, especially external. But if you are worried about premature ejaculation, we'll assign us, um, exercises where you'll practice masturbating. Like you'll practice touching yourself. You'll practice slowing down. You'll practice breathing. Um, one thing I'll say about premature ejaculation is that it is a habit you've created. Right. And usually it's created because your early experiences of pleasure and ejaculation are like hiding in your room, kind of getting it done as fast as you can. And you're creating a shame loop there, too. Right. Yeah. You don't want to get caught. You want to be really quiet. Uh, you may not even be comfortable doing it. There may be layers of shame as to whether or not this is an appropriate thing to mm. be doing. So you've created this experience where you're, you're you want to do it as fast as you can and that may be why you're experiencing premature ejaculation so if you can train yourself to ejaculate too quickly so too can you train your body to slow down interesting so you can reverse essentially either which way absolutely right and lasting longer that's the other thing is like busting some of these lit myths lasting longer isn't the best thing ever either like the quality of an experience isn't necessarily determined by its duration i like that I think a lot of guys get caught up in the, the length of time oh, as opposed yeah. to the actual experience. Yeah, and so when I, when I teach about premature ejaculation, like I have this online program that will walk people through, we start with the education piece. Um, we start with having them doing breathing exercises, visualization exercises. Then they're going to do these exercises on their own. I'm not there. Um, where they practice like slowing down different strokes, uh, different grips so that they can maybe loosen the grip a little bit. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in the moment, if you're worried about kind of finishing too quickly, you can also just slow down, right? Sometimes we just need to use common sense around sex. Uh, but my focus is really getting people to tune into pleasure instead of trying to escape from pleasure in order to last longer. Because what's the point in that? Like, do you get a prize at the end? Does your partner <laughs> pat you on the back and say like, great job, four minutes, 52 seconds? <laughs> you know, people aren't timing it. And then also, I, I don't know if like if your listeners are, if you're a straight person, so you're, if you're having sex with a woman, putting your penis inside of them is not the best route to orgasm anyway. Like there are all these other things you can do with that body without worrying about how long you last per se. Right. Are there common myths, like a, a, a good list that comes to mind that you're like, you know what, these are some of the biggest misnomers around sex for men? Uh, well, certainly lasting longer yeah. is a big focus. Having a bigger penis, this notion that it's going to be better again, Partners are very happy with penis size at my experience. And so I'm super lucky because I'm not in private practice. I'm talking to, let's say, 60 new people every week mm -hmm. in these programs. I hear far more complaints about penises being too big versus too small. So we have this notion that things are bigger or better. Um, I mean, I think the biggest one is around feelings, that men don't attach feelings to sex or that men just want to get it in, uh, that they, they, don't, they don't want foreplay. The data actually, data actually shows that men want pretty much just as much foreplay as women now. I'm speaking about three and a half billion people and three and a half billion people. In the end, my advice is not nearly as valuable or my insights and data aren't nearly as valuable as just knowing what you want for yourself and talking to a partner. Right. right? Like with everyone, I always want them to think about their sexual values. Like what does sex mean to you? Why is it important to you? What are the physical, 
practical, relational, and emotional components of sex that matter to you. If you can start there, if you can know those things, if you can share those things with a partner, you can go anywhere. Like you can talk about all your fantasies. You can do all the wild stuff. You can have hot sex in a monogamous relationship for decades on end, or you can have hot sex in a non-monogamous relationship. You have to figure out what it means to you. Why do you think, and I don't want to overgeneralize, but why do you think people associate hot sex with something outside of the relationship that they're in? Oh, well, I think that's pretty normal because it's new and it's unknown and there's risk involved. So I think one of the mistakes we make in long-term relationships is we look to eliminate all risk. Like we want to know everything about our partner. We want all the safety. And yes, of course, you want safety and comfort and love. That is the foundation of your relationship. But you also need to leave space for risk or most of us get bored. And we all have different risk profiles, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I look at me versus my partner, I probably like a, I like a little bit more risk. I, you know, I need a little bit more adrenaline. And so we have to find this place where we meet in the middle. But of course, it's more exciting with for most people with someone new because mm-hmm. it's the unknown. When you meet someone and you fall in love and you like want to get them naked and you want to get your hands into them and you can't wait to get a piece of them, that's because you don't know them, right? As soon as you get to know them, it's like, oh, I mean, I really like them. I care about them. I can be hugely attracted to them. The sex can be really good, but there isn't this fear of rejection. So you know butterflies in your stomach? Mm-hmm. Feels so good, right? Like you meet someone <laughs> new and it's so exciting. However, that's not true love. That's not that you found the one. That's your digestive tract and your anal sphincter responding to, to fear, right? <laughs> to the unknown, to this fear of rejection. So we need to create more space for either risk or feigned risk within long-term relationships. That's my favorite topic. That's really the work that I do is help people develop the foundational skills so that they're super happy and super comfortable and super safe so much so that they can go do things or at least talk about things or explore options that are a little bit edgier. Interesting. How would, I said you do, you do, um, <clears throat> sorry, <laughs> you do with a lot of couples, how do, like, you know, you spice up, or you say you would spice up the relationship. People always talk about that. I mean, first of all, it's talking about sex and yeah. not just talking about sex when something is awry. So that's the big mistake we make around sexual communication and relational communication is we wait until something's wrong to bring it up instead of just talking about these things on an ongoing basis. So talk about sex. And I always say start with the three Fs, your feelings, your frequency, and your fantasy. So fantasy is obviously like the things that you think about, the things that excite you. You don't have to go into detail about like, oh, I was in a forest and it was 72% humidity. And these (laughs) two guys come in on horseback, back, they're topless, and two women come in, they're crawling. Like you don't have to get into the details, but what am I feeling in that fantasy? Am I feeling adored? Am I feeling irresistible? Am I feeling overwhelmed? Is it the escape from reality, the mundanity of life? So talk about your fantasies. And one great way to talk about fantasies is to simply talk about what you're seeing in popular media. Like what do you see on TV that turns you on, that turns you off? Do you like the way he kisses her? Do you like the way she approaches her? Do you not like it? Because so, sometimes just talking about these fictional characters and scenarios that perhaps you're not in that third party bridge can feel safer so number one fantasies frequency is super important in relationships Um, to talk about you know how often would you like to have it in an ideal world like and i have have people write it down on a piece of paper would you like sex three times a week two times per fiscal year once per financial quarter like (laughs) (laughs) when i get my bonus i'm in a better mood like how often do you want it and then you write down your partner's number what you perceive it to be and you kind of trade papers and have a conversation uh everything in life 
is based on feedback, right? We always are doing like elicitation research. Like if you come to my house for dinner, I want to know if you have any dietary restrictions. I want to know if you can eat spicy food. I'm not just going to assume because I want spicy chicken feet that you both want spicy chicken feet. So there's that conversation. We need to do the same thing around sex. So frequency fantasy and then probably the most important piece in long-term relationships, but just generally, is understanding the erotic emotional connection, meaning your core erotic feeling and your elevated erotic feelings. The core erotic feeling is the feeling that you need to experience in order to get in the mood for sex. So do you need to be relaxed? Do you need to feel powerful? Mm. Do you need to feel loved? Do you need to feel sexy? And then what can you do to make space for that feeling in your life? Because it's not all your partner's responsibility. (laughs) I like 80-20, it's 80% your job, and then how can they help to evoke that as well? So that's kind of the base conversation. And then once that's taken care of, Um, That's also going to help bridge some of the frequency gaps that inevitably arise in long-term relationships. But once that's taken care of, you can go to your elevated erotic feelings, which are the feelings that make sex so much more exciting. Like I talked about the forest and the humidity and the people crawling in. But what is it I was feeling, right? what, What are the feelings that make sex exciting for me? And oftentimes your core erotic feeling is rooted in safety and validation. And your elevated erotic feelings, oftentimes, everyone's different, are rooted in subversion and fear and risk. It's why some of us are like turned on by being jealous or turned on by even humiliation or turned on by pain or risk, Mm. especially in the context of a safe, loving relationship, right? Like the things that I can play with in the context of my relationship with my partner because I feel super loved and safe and life's good, man. I can play with all (laughs) these other feelings that make sex exciting over the long term. Like I've been with this guy 20 years. Mm-hmm. We met when we were kids and things can still be exciting because we're willing to go to these other places and we're willing to take risks. My job, of course, inherently offers all these kind of novel opportunities, right? Like I'm at a naked resort or I'm on a sex cruise or like I have to go teach at a sex party or something. So inevitably we end up talking about those things, even if we're not always engaging in them. Wow. How do you, um, men tend to struggle with conveying like a lot of this is about dialogue it's about conversation Mm -hmm. feedback receiving feedback all things that generally men are not always prone to doing well Mm -hmm. we have a long way to go in that capacity are there things that you can suggest tips tricks anything that can help encourage men to start to have these conversations more freely because i remember times where i couldn't have these conversations Mm -hmm. at all or i couldn't be on the receiving end of these conversations Mm -hmm. And now I can on both sides of the spectrum and I can spot the difference. But there are still men out there that can't. So what was your turning point? Like what made you? Maturity. I think it was just emotional maturity more than anything else. Mm -hmm. To get that capacity. Yeah. Like the ability to say that without fear of being judged and just understanding that if I want something, I have to verbalize it. And I can't assume that my partner is just going to automatically read my mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess when it comes to sex and relationships, they don't happen in a vacuum. So like that immaturity kind of comes from and flows to all areas of your life. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I have a trick other than like you just have to do it and you have to sit in the discomfort of having conversations that don't always feel 100% safe or 100% good. Obviously, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you feel threatened or at real risk. But I think we have to understand that like you don't always have to feel really good in a relationship. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to fight. Fighting and arguing is actually functional. Um, And I think if you always start from a place of curiosity, like understanding somebody's why or why not, and be willing to explore your own, then we're okay. So what I mean by that is if my partner comes to me and says like, oh, I want to, 
I want to watch porn together. I want to go to a sex club. And my first reaction is, no, absolutely not. I'm not into that. Okay, I'm allowed to say no. But also, they're allowed to request what they're into. But I hope that the conversation doesn't end at, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. Let's get into our why. Like, why? Let's take a sex club, for example. You know, why does he want to go to a sex club? Yeah, that's an interesting one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's such a huge opportunity, I think, especially in a city like Toronto. If your folks are in Toronto, we have really cool sex clubs like Oasis that have like special nights. They have an all all female night. They have couples nights. They have student night. They have orgy night. They have like porn shoe night. They have everything under the sun, sapphic night. And the opportunity to actually see real people having real sex mm-hmm. is life-changing. Like I remember I was, I was 26 years old the first time I went to one of these resorts and saw real bodies engaging in real pleasure. Not for performance. Of course, there's an exhibitionist element that we can't get away from if you're doing it in public. But again, in the absence of comprehensive sex education, we are getting our education from porn. And porn is not intended to be educational, right? So we think that it has to look this one way. So if my partner says, I want to go to a sex club to go back to that, and I say no. But what I want to say is, okay, I'm glad you shared that with me. Um, I want to understand why, and I want you to understand my why not. And then we can have these real conversations. So I know that's not like a trick. Um, I know it's not like a tip where it's like, okay, here's the the specific way to do it. Mm. But if you can sit in, when you don't like something, how about this? When you're not comfortable with something, ask yourself why. Like, what is the underlying fear? What are you worried about? Are they going to leave you because you disagree? Uh, are you going to be miserable for the rest of your life because you're not getting this one thing? Are they going to judge you? If you're in a relationship where you feel judged, that's a real problem, right? You don't have to want the same things to be compatible. You don't have to be have, share all the same fantasies, but... It has to be judgment-free, and you both have to be willing to put in effort. And I think we have to also understand that sex requires effort. And if you don't nurture the sexual part of your relationship, it is going to take a toll on every other area of the relationship. It's interesting. Very. <coughs> Very. Seeing how that, that can mess up other parts of your relationship. Like, I don't think a lot of people think about it that way. I think they like they treat it as its own separate thing. But I can see how it can bleed into other parts of your relationship. It's almost like the tension that's caused from that area. You start arguing about something completely different, and that but that tension, that underlying tension, is there, and all of a sudden, this other thing is now magnified. But that's where it's really coming from. What, a, what about the situation where you guys don't get along at all, mm-hmm. except <laughs> for in the bedroom? Like how does like so like how does how does because you're saying how usually <laughs> it's it's like the communication. So if you guys cannot communicate very well. But then in the bedroom, it's it's magic. How does that work? <laughs> well, for a relationship, it doesn't. Because <laughs> if you don't have the foundation, I would suggest just be screw buddies. Like, <laughs> why, why live together? Why try and meet one another's emotional needs and relational needs and social needs if all you've really got is, is sex? And that's fine, too. And, and that's what I would love to see kind of for the next generation and what I'm learning is that we can custom design our relationships any way we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have to look like what our parents' relationships look like. And if you look at the data and our personal experience, we may not want it to look like what our parents' relationships. A lot of parents out there are unhappy. <laughs> and a lot of people, yeah. right? You don't have to be in a relationship. I think it's important to remember that life is short, right? Like it, it can be taken from us at any day. And so I always use that 99 rule. Like, will this matter to me when I'm 99 years old? Is this the hill I want to die on? Do I want to fight about this? But for the, on the flip side, if you're in an unhappy relationship, are you going to be okay with it being this way in a year, in two years, in five years? Because it's not going to get better on its own. I'm not saying relationships can't be rebuilt and that you know issues can't be addressed and repaired. 
But if you don't nurture the relationship and, and the, sex, the sex is just part of it, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you're only enjoying the sex part, then go ahead and have sex with them and look for other sources of support. Uh, we have made the mistake of selling this romantic myth that this one person, when you find your soulmate, they're going to fulfill all of your needs. And it's super unrealistic because one person cannot possibly fulfill all of your emotional, relational, practical, social, spiritual, sexual, and so on needs, right? Mm -hmm. we, we always have different sources of support. And we see that in friendships, right? I don't have one friend that I rely on for everything. We have multiple sources of social support. And we probably need the same in relationships. Seems like it puts an unnecessary burden on the partner. To like have to live up to all, all of those things, especially, you know, like as your relationship progresses and now you're living together, you get married and all of a sudden you're just the be all for everything. It's, it can be tiring. <laughs> yeah. it, it's impossible. Yeah. It would be impossible to be that person's everything. So where would somebody go and learn, you know, like obviously you have your courses and everything, but for the folks that might just want to not use Pornhub to figure out you know, what they like, what they don't like, or they're just still trying to understand themselves better. Is there places that they can go? Like you, you talked about sex clubs and you talked about like resorts and whatnot, but outside of those, those might be a little too much for some people up front. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't want people to take this as, oh, well, a sexologist said we should go to a sex club. That's not at all my messaging. <laughs> my messaging is that I hope you can consider and talk about a range of options. Right. But if you're kind of more at the beginning or you're a little bit curious, there are workshops out there. Like you can go to workshops that are all women or all men, or you mm -hmm. can do them online. I have I have classes. My friend Luna Matadas, who's Toronto-based, has a bunch of courses you can take. Um, I will plug my podcast because, yeah, Same. so the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast, we talk about everything from anal sex to emotional literacy and everything in between. And my partner and I will go through and just do some of these exercises, like totally unscripted, totally unedited. I never listen to them because if I did, I'd you know be all self-conscious and be like, nope, <laughs> don't publish that. Um, but I think it's an opportunity to just kind of look in on how some people communicate and you it, I think it's also a great opening to share it with a partner and, and say hey I heard this thing you want to have a listen do you know mm. what I mean so it's not about them it's not about a relationship deficit it's just about a way to enhance your relationship and it is the only area of our lives where we kind of put all this investment into the startup phase it's like we plan a wedding and we put money into it and we gather all our people around and then we don't formally invest in it right people will say like oh well therapy is too expensive or I don't have time for that you work out, you know, five hours a week. You spend time eating, drinking, traveling, all these things. We, we have to make our relationships a priority. And I don't just mean intimate relationships, but the quality of your relationships determines the quality of your life. And so they're absolutely worth investing the time and sometimes, you know, money in as well if that's what's required. You talk about emotional literacy being something that you cover. Can you maybe share some, some info on what that looks like? Yeah, it, I would say emotional literacy is about becoming comfortable with feeling things <laughs> a huge range of emotions whether you're feeling happy or sad or scared or nervous or jealous or insecure being willing to say I feel this all right this is what's showing up this is what I'm feeling right now maybe asking yourself what does it feel like in my body right like what what's going on how can I soothe some of the physical sensations because when you soothe the physical sensations are the manifestations of a feeling. The feeling also sometimes starts to kind of dissipate or the negative effects become a bit attenuated. Uh, and then asking yourself, well, why am I feeling this? What can I do about it? Um, what can I say to myself to self-soothe? What can I say to my partner to let them know what I need? So a good example would be, for example, jealousy. 
So maybe you see your partner talking to someone and you're overcome by jealousy. And most of us don't even want to admit that we're jealous because that's mm. a bad feeling. That's a weak feeling. That's an insecure feeling. But people are not secure or insecure. All of these things exist on a spectrum, right? So sometimes you feel very, very secure and sometimes you don't feel so secure and that's totally normal. So I see them, they're talking to someone, I'm feeling jealous. So what do I do? Maybe I lash out. Maybe I criticize the person. Maybe I withdraw and won't talk to my partner. Maybe I accuse my partner of something instead of just saying, hey man, to myself, like I'm feeling jealous. I don't like this. I got to take a couple of deep breaths. And then maybe I think, oh man, like they're really laughing with this person. And that person is, that's a good looking person. They're very charming. They're very good looking. And I feel threatened by that. But being able to acknowledge that, I can ask myself like, what does this mean? So I don't know, my partner's over there, Brandon's standing over there laughing, having a great time with this beautiful person. What does that mean? Does that mean this guy's going to leave me? Does this mean that like everything, our relationship is irrelevant, right? Mm -hmm. Can I kind of talk myself down from that edge and say like, okay, good. I'm really glad that he's having a good time, right? And, or maybe that's not enough and I have to go to him and say like, oh, they introduced me or whatever. And maybe I need some reassurance. Maybe I can turn to him and say, tell me I have nothing to worry about or something like that. I, I don't feel like you always want to get to that point. Right. Hopefully you have the foundation of the relationship where you're like, oh, I'm feeling this thing right now. And what jealousy can also be functional. It can help you to acknowledge what you value. It can help you to acknowledge what you're trying to be. So maybe I don't know, maybe this person is um, a lot happier and I've been very moody lately. So it can help me to acknowledge, hey, maybe I'd like to boost my mood. Now, I can't change everything about myself if I'm looking at this person and they're six foot four and I'm jealous that they're six foot four. <laughs> I can't be six foot four. <laughs> I probably can barely be five foot four. <laughs> so, um, with the hat or without the hat? <laughs> the hat, the hat's a good six four. Between these heels and the hat, I'm six four. <laughs> Where's the hat? You put the hat away. You got, hat. yeah. You, maybe you put it I on mean, for the. What is it? Too hot. I like yeah. that hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there? Okay, so why is it though that jealousy is so commonly associated with weakness? I remember, you know, growing up, I would feel sen a sense of jealousy and it was almost like a shame. Like you, you, you couldn't articulate mm -hmm. that you were jealous because that just meant that you were weaker than the next thing or next mm -hmm. person rather. But why, like, why does that even get to that point? It's such a raw emotion that you can't control. Like if it happens, it happens and it hits you hard. Yeah, I, I think it's because we don't give ourselves permission to feel it. I think it's because we're avoidant of it that it gets so much power. And in the se and because we don't ever say it, mm -hmm. the secrecy breeds the shame. And I don't know, like for you, if it's rooted in gender as well. Okay. Like, or in the performance of gender or what you feel you're supposed to be. I, I'm not sure. Like, well, I think I know, it's different it, for everyone. Fair, yeah. I know that, you know, like when you're a guy in high school and, you know, you're, you like a girl and you see her talking to another guy and there's a sense of jealousy there and that's like the, you know, you don't know how to, react behave and if you happen to know the girl or if you're talking to the girl you're dating the girl and you try to convey that you know you're typically met with you know why are you being jealous why are you being overbearing controlling like calm down like those kinds of things and then you almost have to it it, it ingrains in you this idea or this notion that if you start to feel jealousy you have to like contain that you can't say anything about it okay 
So I'll say two things there. I think sometimes it's about how we say it, right? Are you going up and saying, I feel jealous right now? Or are you going up and telling somebody what you perceive them to be doing wrong? <laughs> yeah, it's usually the latter. <laughs> it was the latter. <laughs> Let me clarify. It was the latter. Right. I'm much better now. <laughs> um, so I think that's one piece. And I think the other piece is that we have our feelings invalidated all the time. So if I say I'm feeling jealous or I show that I'm feeling jealous and someone says to me, oh, you're just jealous, that can feel very invalidating, like, mm. like oh, I'm not allowed to be jealous? It's very dismissive. Right. Very. And so we're accusing someone of their feelings. And it's not that all feelings are rational, but if you're experiencing them, you're experiencing them. So, And that's what I mean when I mean emotional literacy. It's not only the capacity for you to feel and for you to express it, but it's also the capacity for other people in your lives and not just a partner, because that's a lot of burden on a partner. We can get to that in a moment, but for them to be able to receive it and be supportive. And I always see that kind of as the formula for intimacy and connection in a relationship is if I can come to you with vulnerability and you can show me love and support, that just deepens our connection. But I will say that in hetero relationships, I think one of the challenges is that if a woman becomes the only source of emotional support, the only outlet where you express how you're feeling for a male partner, that is a huge burden on her. And that emotional labor can feel like a lot. And that's why I love that you're having these conversations because I think not only are people listening on their own, but they're talking to their friends and that changes the way men relate to one another, right? If you can talk to your friends about your feelings, it means that you're not putting all of that weight on a partner friends or, you know, anyone, a family member, a brother, a sister, a cousin, uh, a therapist, because we do, we see this dynamic where the only place where men feel safe or are allowed to be vulnerable is with an intimate partner. And then that intimate partner takes on kind of this, this role that can be either like a therapist type role or a parent type role in that emotional caretaking. And that can be a lot. So it is more common, of course, there are many exceptions for, but it is more common for women to have multiple sources of social and emotional support, right? Mm-hmm. To talk to friends, to talk to siblings, to talk to parents. When that happens, where the the partner plays the role of like almost a, th- you know, partner therapist, mm-hmm. does that start, it, can that create a slippery slope where the intimacy starts to fade on one side because you now see the person as more as mostly the therapist absolutely i think from both sides when you fall into these dynamics that are like parent child or caretaker and person taken care of uh, it's not necessarily sexy it's not necessarily exciting um and i think that it can it can be a little bit myopic right you can turn to that person just for that and then it's easy to turn to someone else for something more exciting and more passionate and that's when you start looking outside the relationship Mm -hmm. absolutely interesting (laughs) um okay so we talked about performance anxiety and we talked about intimacy we talked about the burden on partners is there is there sort of a, a a lesson that can be taken away from this where you know like if a person were to sort of you know they're hearing this they're watching this they're gonna start on this journey of learning and discovery and understanding is there what's the first step What would be the first thing that they should do? Around sex or relationships or both? Let's start with both. Well, we'll start with one. Let's start with sex and then relationships because I I feel like you you can't really do one well until you do both well. Absolutely, yeah. So I I think with sex, I would just say kind of take a moment to think about what it means to you um, and what feels good for you and maybe go back to your peak erotic experience. Like what was the thing that you've done that was most exciting 
and then think about, okay, so what can I do to extract from that? How can I recreate something like that? Because people worry that it's because, you know, they were with someone really hot, but oftentimes it's not somebody's body that makes them exciting. It's not some specific technique, although you can go ahead and learn techniques. It's really how that person makes you feel. Like, did you feel wanted? Did you feel the thrill of breaking some rules? Did you feel, um, you know, just desired and irresistible. What is it you felt? So I would say, think about what sex means to you. Think about your peak erotic experience and think about how you can put more of that in your life. And maybe that's a conversation you can have with a partner, not going up and saying, oh man, this time in college, there were three of us. It's like, <laughs> not necessarily all of the details, but say, you know, one thing that really excites me in the bedroom is, and I would say that if it's a tangible, I guess you can't actually touch it, but an actionable thing that you can do, it's to start a conversation around sex, to talk to somebody today, whether it's a partner or a friend. What would you say is probably the worst time to have that conversation? Um, oftentimes when you, well, first of all, when you're fighting, that's the worst mm -hmm. time, fair, fair. generally. Fair. But oftentimes in the bedroom, when tensions are high. Like before, during, after, any time there? Right. Yeah. So for a lot of people, yes, you can talk about little things in the bedroom. Like, do you want it here? Do you want it there? Faster, mm -hmm. slower, that kind of stuff. But if you, if you know, you, you're in the middle of the throes of passion and you say, you know, I have this fantasy about threesomes that might not be a good time because every time you have sex thereafter, they may be worried that that's the only thing that you're thinking of. Mm. Yeah, so, and I think an important thing around any conversation, whether it's sexual or business or emotional or psychological, is to say, hey, do you have space for this right now? Like, and, and to start, I always use this formula of start with the positive, make space for their input, and then make your request. So I might say, oh man, it felt really good the other night. Like, that was, that, that was so good. You know, how did it feel for you? So I started with the positive. I'm being genuine. I'm making space for them to contribute. And then I could say, you know, I was listening to this podcast and there was this weird lady talking about fantasies. Um, I would love to like... <laughs> sex clubs. <laughs> sex clubs. I'd love to talk about that with you. Uh, is now a good time? And if they're like, no, you can say, okay, so let's, let's pick another time. You know what I mean? What happens if your partner just shuts it down? Because they're emotionally not there. Yeah. So we run into this all the time. If one of you is really willing to put in the effort and the other really isn't, we run into a compatibility, compatibility issue. So I really believe you can be compatible with many people. I believe that relationships and partners can become compatible. But if one person is close to even discussing or exploring and the other person wants to, I, I think we might be at an impasse here. That's not to say just give up, because just because somebody reacts a certain way one time or two times or four times doesn't mean that they won't come around. But again, I think you go back to them with the, you know, I really care about you. I love you. I love this relationship. And I want to invest in it. I want to like, I want to have a hot sex life because it's important to me. And here's why it's important to me. And we just, we don't have that language. That language isn't accessible. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do have a book, uh, well, I have five books, but my latest book is The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. And it's co-authored by a fabulous sexologist named Marla Renee Stewart. And in the book, we explore all the theories in detail, right? Like I'm, we're talking at a very high level here about a lot of different complex topics. But then we also give you the language to start these conversations. So, for example, if we're going to talk about sexual values, we might, like I'll give you an interview where I can ask you the questions as a partner and then you can ask me, like, what were the first messages you received about sex? Mm. Where do you first remember hearing about sex? What were the sources of those messages? How do you feel about those messages today? Right. And I think that even starting there can feel safer than like, hey, what are your fantasies? Tell me your fantasies. Right. So yeah. like really starting at a, at a sort of a basic level. Yeah. yeah. And if your partner refuses, I think you're, you're going to want to push a little bit um, and not demand and not pressure. But again, with the, you know, 
I really care about this and I love this relationship. And I, and maybe you're not having the sex you used to. That's usually when people talk about it, right? And we, like I loved in the beginning when we would do these things. And I'm not criticizing you, right? I'm being careful. Um, and I, I'm going to take responsibility for the fact that, you know, I, I don't put in the same effort. I'd love to try this again. And if they say, no, I'm not into it, you can say, can we revisit this? Like this is an important conversation to me. So I'm hoping we can make the time to have it, even though it's super uncomfortable. But it has to be had, conversations. Like, it doesn't seem like there's really any other way around them. Like, these conversations have to happen for a relationship to be successful. I would think so. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be formulaic, and they don't necessarily have to be formal. But I do think you need to be on the path toward these conversations in most cases. Now, are there exceptions? Are there people who are perfectly happy having a certain type of sex without ever talking about it, perhaps, perhaps in the long run. Um, but I would say that most people, because our lives have gotten a little bit easier over time, because we're living longer than ever before. So relationships are no longer, you know, 20 or 30 year mm -hmm. things. They're lasting into our 70s, 80s, 90s and beyond. I, and sex, of course, changes when you get older, which is a, a whole other beautiful conversation. But I think that most people want the richness of life. We want all the experiences. I don't mean hedonistically, like I want to do everything and have all the sex, but we want to live with fulfillment and with intention in every area of our lives. We don't just want to do what falls in our lap. We don't want to just default to what other people are doing. We really want to think about, I've got this many years on earth and I want to suck every piece of fulfillment and love and joy and connection out of it with intention. And so I don't think most people are happy with mediocrity in relationships. And in fact, mediocrity in relationships or stress in relationships or what you were talking about, um, sort of the resentment that comes from having problems in one area of your relationship, they, that takes a toll on your mental and physical health. We have a wealth of evidence showing that when you have fulfilling relationships, you live a longer life. You have higher recovery rates from heart disease, cancer, heart attack. You are just happier in life overall. And so it really is worth investing in our relationships. Is there a biological element to... So let me, maybe I should rephrase this question a little bit. So people tend to say, and when I say people, I use that term loosely in the sense we're experts, not experts, whatever. But they tend to say that men biologically speaking, prefer to have more sex with just a variety of partners purely from an, like a, a, just a physical component, like with no emotions attached. Is it possible to have sex for the pure physicality without the emotions? I think that's the question I was trying to get to. For sure. Of course you can have sex that is, well, I don't think you can do anything in life without emotions. We're sitting here feeling things right. with each other. I order my coffee, you know, they're nice to me, they're not nice to me at Starbucks or wherever I'm getting my coffee. That's an emotional experience. So mm -hmm. every human interaction is emotional. Um, so it's not devoid of emotion, but it can absolutely be devoid of romantic or intimate or relational emotion. Of course, you can just have animal sex. Lots of people are doing it. If that is your preference, mm -hmm. don't sign up for a relationship or sign up for a relationship that is consensually non-monogamous. Just be honest about what you want. So sure, sex can be a physical act that is not a part of a relationship, but even if you're having casual sex, even if you have a friends with benefits, even if it's a one night stand, you want to be mindful of the person's emotions. Like you don't want to treat them like a piece of meat, unless they're asking you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well then. Um, 
so what do you got going on? You're doing a lot of traveling. Yeah. You got a podcast. Yeah. You got your fifth book. I got my fifth book. Yeah. Did it just come out recently? No, it's been. Uh, it came out during the pandemic. Okay. Yeah, and I think. Are I'll you never, writing another one? No, hopefully not. <laughs> Every time <laughs> I say I'm not writing another book, they come to me with some sort of a publishing <laughs> thing. Now, I don't love like writing isn't my favorite thing, but I'm very okay. proud of of this last book. I think it's a real um, opportunity for people to read, engage, learn, and then start conversations. That's mm. what I'm super excited about with uh, the Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. We have the podcast every week, the Sex with Doctor Jess podcast, and I'm on retreats most weekends. So I just did one in Cabo. I actually just did one in Goderich. So I don't get to do as much in Canada. Canada doesn't show me the love that the rest <laughs> of the world shows me, which is a whole other conversation. But yeah. Um, do you think that's a cultural thing? Um, like a well, Canadian society thing? Maybe, but we're, also, we're a smaller country. So of course there's more gig, gigs in the States and Europe, but uh, it's changing. It's changing, I think. And uh, yeah, so there's there are a lot of retreats going on and folks can check it out at sexwithdrjess.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for coming in. This Thank was you. a really quick 50 minutes. I don't feel like but I time, let you talk. Length does, no, that's okay. The amount of time doesn't matter. Duration <laughs> didn't matter. 50 minutes is way too long. <laughs> <laughs> we have to eat. We have things to do. People to see. <laughs> uh, no, honestly, thank you for coming in. Uh, we really appreciate this. I think there's a lot of men that are going to take a lot of value from this conversation. I learned something. I always learn something every single time I have one of these conversations. <laughs> I, admi I always admire that. My partner says the same mm -hmm. thing. He's like, I learn something all the time. And that's your mindset, right? Like that you're open to it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very We'd cool. love to have you back on. Anytime. I think this. I think you're a wealth of knowledge and uh, you're so articulate. So it's really nice to just like, oh, okay, now I get that. Okay, yeah. And then just like I can, I feel like so many questions coming to my mind. And, and then I look at the time and I'm like, all right. Well, maybe next time. Yeah, anytime at all. And and I don't, I'm not, I'm wealth of knowledge. Really, my job, I feel, is to start conversations, yeah. right? Like you've got this info, agree, disagree, but use it to have a meaningful conversation with someone in your life. Absolutely. Amazing. Jess, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. So much. Thank you, everybody. Poncho, appreciate it. Thanks, everybody.